cutting off cross-border visits. We need to find other ways uh, of being able to contact our, our family and friends and our neighbors who live in Washington state. Why the province has to shut down the park at Peace Arch border crossing. Bikes versus cars in Vancouver's crown jewel. We could try out one lane and see what happens. The escalating debate over who gets access to Stanley Park. And to catch a killer. The crime itself was horrific. Why homicide investigators are still haunted by the Rocky Rambo case. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. We're going to get to those stories in just a moment, but first we have some major breaking news. Now take a look at this live shot from Global One uh, and you can see it is a major blaze burning in Vancouver right now. A lot of thick black smoke rising into the air. Uh, it is quite likely if you are in Vancouver, you can see that smoke uh, uh, rising above the city. We believe that this is um, near Marine, perhaps in the Camby uh, area, if we pull out on this chopper shot, you can see the Fraser River there, the proximity to the Fraser River. Uh, so it looks like it may be not far away. Do you think that's Camby? I think that is Camby, right and it looks like that's Langara Golf Course there, and it's kind of in yeah. the southern boundary of the Langara Golf Course. Now, we have seen or heard of a little bit of Twitter chatter saying that this might have been a construction site that's unverified at this moment, but as you can see, whatever it is, it was completely destroyed by uh, fire. And you can see as we zoom in now, a number of fire crews are there putting as much water as they can onto it. But whatever that is, is likely going to be a total loss. And we will uh, keep an eye on this situation uh, where we believe, as we've said, that not far from the Langara Golf Course um, around the Camby uh, and Marine area or sort of north of the Marine area. But we'll keep an eye on it and we'll uh, update you as we get more details into the newsroom. Looks like it might be, yeah, it looks like it might be Columbia and West 59th area. So just kind of ballparking it there. But as Soph mentioned, we'll check back in when we get a little bit more information about what's happening there. All right, now, the popularity of Peace Arch Park has skyrocketed during the COVID-19 pandemic, and apparently it's now become too popular. BC Parks is closing the park indefinitely. It says attendance has doubled, creating a number of health and safety concerns, especially with the 408 new coronavirus cases reported today in Washington State. Catherine Urquhart reports. A steady stream of Americans arrive at Surrey's Peace Arch Provincial Park, a park that is accessible from both countries without reporting to a border guard. My mom is in assisted living in Langley. Uh, my fiancé. I have a sister and a cousin who both had babies that I didn't get to see yet, so... The park was closed April 8th, then reopened May 14th. Now, as of 8 p.m., it's being closed again. But it's very sad. That's heavy-handed. I'm just devastated. It's heartbreaking. The decision comes after visits spiked in recent weeks, with about double the number of people in the park. Some were gathering in tents. Couples got married. Neighbors say it was way out of hand. It uh, really was getting out of hand a little bit, uh, with all the tents and the... Um, and the parking over on our side, over 171 Street area. Perhaps surprisingly, the decision to close Peace Arch Provincial Park 
did not come from the Ministry of Health. It was not uh, done under public health. It was done in consultation with the community and by the um, by Parks and Ministry of the Environment. But we do know that uh, the reason that people were going to the park was because of the restrictions on border crossings that were put in place because of the pandemic. So it is clearly related. The issues are related to COVID-19. For many families, this was their only way to see loved ones. For now, this is the only place that I could meet my family because they're living from uh, just across the border. Closure of Peace Arch Provincial Park is indefinite, due to reopen only once it's deemed safe to do so. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Vancouver's crown jewel, Stanley Park, has been closed to vehicles since the start of the pandemic, and an emergency park board meeting is about to get underway to debate whether or not it should stay that way. Our Nadia Stewart is live with more on what's on the table here and why it's such a hot topic, Nadia. Yeah, you know, Chris, uh, just a few minutes ago, there was a woman who was riding through with her daughter and she stopped to chat. She said she does not want the park to return to the way that it was. She says she feels like this is the way the park should remain. But of course, we've heard from businesses who say that the decrease in traffic is obviously having a negative impact on their bottom line because they are getting fewer customers coming through. Now, the park has been closed to traffic since April 8th. This was a COVID-19 measure. No traffic meant the road way was open to cyclists and the seawall was exclusively poor pedestrians so more room for everybody but the understanding was that this was just a temporary change now in recent re- in recent weeks some park board commissioners have been considering reevaluating traffic within the park altogether possibly going down to just a single lane of traffic for good and that has businesses crying foul but it also has cyclists saying this is a conversation that needs to be had The Vancouver Park Board, in my view, has had a a war on bikes by refusing to deal with bikes that want to come through parks safely and not bump into pedestrians and mix it up with pedestrians. And you only have to look at Kitts Park or Jericho Park where there's no separation and it's an unsafe situation and I wouldn't want that repeated in Stanley Park. We're not quite sure why the vote is even coming up when the commissioners just approved a motion on June the 8th to create a plan to reopen Stanley Park and to look at long-term solutions and and this has come out of the out of left field I think to say let's not wait for that plan let's just uh, go back to pre-COVID times. All right Nadia so the park board's talking about it do we know when there might be a decision on the future of vehicles in the park? Well, hard to say. We'll find out how this vote goes tonight soon enough. There are a number of people lined up to speak, but we also know a development uh, earlier today. Park Board commissioners have been served with some sort of warning of a lawsuit. So that's definitely adding another interesting layer to this whole debate. Certainly is. Okay, Nadia Stewart reporting live in Vancouver. Thanks, Nadia. All right, now let's get a look at today's COVID-19 numbers from BC Health officials. We have eight new cases today, and that brings our total to 2,783. We've had no new deaths, so that number once again stays at 168. Ten people are in hospital, five of them in ICU. 2,425 people are considered recovered, and that means we have 190 active cases. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on today's briefing which included where we are right now when it comes to surgeries in B.C. Keith? 
Yeah, we've always, uh, we've long been focusing on COVID numbers, of course, no surprise there on a daily basis. Lost in this whole thing for many people is the fact that uh, as of uh, the start of April, our hospitals start to be empty. So, so many surgeries have been canceled over time. So, to give you an indication, usually we can, our healthcare system performs 6,000 surgeries on a, on a week. Uh, put that in contrast, in April, we were down to 2,000 surgeries because so many beds were being reserved for potential COVID-19 uh, victims. Today, Health Minister Adrian Nix announcing we're back to normal. 6,000-plus uh, uh, surgeries performed in the second week of June. Uh, here's Adrian Nix reminding us of what the prediction was going to be. When we announced the surgical plan uh, uh, with the Premier and with Dr. Henry on, uh, on May the 7th, we said our expectation was that the health system would be back uh, to full capacity in surgeries by the middle of June. And I'm happy to report that we are there. That's good news. Now, again, no briefing from either Mr. Dix or Bonnie Henry on COVID numbers until Monday. She will be talking about uh, Indigenous uh, uh, health when it comes to COVID-19 at tomorrow's briefing at 9.30. We'll be carrying that live on BC1. More modelling coming next week, and it should set the stage, folks, for us finally getting to Phase 3, which is opening up even more, and people being encouraged to travel. She's, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry today says she's cautiously optimistic we're going to be there next week. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we can get out and travel starting next week. Would be so nice. Thanks for that, Keith. The BC legislature resumes sitting on Monday, but democracy in action is going to look a little different due to the pandemic. As Richard Zussman reports, our reliance on an online world means there will be fewer MLAs in the House and hopefully some savings for taxpayers. It's incredible. Work in progress. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's long been a struggle for Speaker Daryl Plekis. Madam Clerk. But starting on Monday, the B.C. legislature will look different and give the speaker some tools he hasn't had before. One of the nice parts is that I'll just be able to mute somebody, you know, where uh, so it uh, makes it a little easier to have uh, control in the House. With the legislature returning next week after four months off due to COVID-19, things are going to look very different. This is a final dress rehearsal, a sense of how far MLAs will be spread out of the chamber, with the rest participating from either their home or office online on Zoom. We'll have up to 25 members uh, here present in the House, that includes the Speaker, and up to 62 participating online through Zoom. There will be challenges. Attorney General, Yoga Master. Mainly technical ones, as the Speaker tries to balance members debating virtually and in person. Well, I think it's unfortunate not being able to see people face-to-face -face and interact with people face-to-face. -face. That's awesome. MLAs will sit all but two weeks until mid-August. Three days a week, a hybrid, both virtual and in person. Another two weeks, all virtual. As for the tone of the session, up until now, all three political parties have seemingly worked together dealing with the pandemic. I think we've seen over the last uh, few weeks where we've been holding practice sessions uh, and coming up with a sessional order uh, that everyone recognizes the importance of the only way this can work is uh, with collaboration. With the temperatures rising outside, it could carry over inside, where old political feuds set aside by the pandemic could once again flare up. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A major announcement from UBC today is making history. The university has announced that former BC Lieutenant Governor Stephen Point will be its next chancellor. He'll be the 19th UBC chancellor and the first Indigenous person to hold the position. 
Point is a member of the Skokale First Nation and has been a provincial court judge, a treaty negotiator, and an advocate for indigenous people. He was BC's lieutenant governor from 2007 until 2012. Well, we are getting a better idea tonight of just how hard the COVID-19 pandemic has hit Metro Vancouver's transit system. New numbers coming out of TransLink's annual general meeting show plummeting ridership and revenue. And as Ted Chernecki reports, no one knows where the money the system needs to survive will be coming from. Budget planners everywhere are being held hostage by the provincial government, and that's certainly true for transit. All revenue projections are tied inextricably to when BC moves to phase three of its recovery. Until then, it's just one big guessing game. Transit is in fact facing a crisis unlike any other since the post-World War II era. First, the sliver of good news. TransLink daily ridership is up from a low in April of just 223,000 passengers, or 15% of normal, to 472,000, or 31%. Still a long way from the 1.5 million daily boardings pre-COVID. And the revenue losses are really piling up. I believe is you know, roughly um, just under half of our actual operating budget. So very significant and shows the, the urgency for support from the federal government and the provincial government on the pandemic-related uh, losses. He's referring to the bottom line of TransLink's projected revenue losses this year. Best case scenario, 544 to almost a billion dollars, depending on how safe commuters feel. Worst case, a second wave of COVID, and the losses this year will be between 1.3 and 1.4 billion. And no one knows how it'll get paid. I don't know. Uh, we are working with um, with the province. We've been working with the province um, uh, very extensively for weeks now. Uh, we've we've um, also um, had many, many, many contacts with the federal government. We have a number of different ideas. One idea is to ask other levels of government to pay a larger share for upcoming system expansion. But will the demand be there? Because a lot of people could just keep working from home permanently. Despite the pandemic, TransLink is still going ahead with the Langley extension and the Broadway corridor, saying those are long-term projects that will serve a growing population 10 to 30 years from now, when COVID is hopefully just a bad memory. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Attending officers say it was one of the most disturbing crime scenes they've ever seen. Diana Ma Jones and her husband Richard were random victims of killer Rocky Rambo Wayne Am Cam. A candid interview with one of the lead investigators and why the case still haunts him in just over a minute. Bolton bombshells blistering allegations about Donald Trump in a new book from his former national security advisor coming up on the news hour. Also tonight, Vancouver's oldest building is a real survivor, but it and all the treasures it contains might soon be lost. That's coming up later as well. All right, we want to go back to our breaking news for just a moment now, that major fire burning in Vancouver. Take a look at this live shot now from Global One that's hovering just above it. We just got off the phone with Vancouver Fire, who have confirmed to us this is a three-alarm blaze. It was, in fact, a construction site that was located at West 67th and, or sorry, West 62nd and Columbia. 
and uh, had a lot of people wondering about it because the smoke can be seen for several kilometers. Yeah, you could definitely uh, earlier see a lot of flames coming. Now, we are under the understanding that it was a, a, a townhouses or condos under construction, but there are uh, occupied units n- adjacent to the fire scene as well. So there's some question as to uh, whether they have been impacted. Um, that's uh, obviously they're getting water on the whole scene there. So hopefully they'll be able to save uh, any any occupied residences. But fluid situation right now. And uh, my understanding is they have evacuated a couple of the occupied units from the development next development next door, I should say. Definitely a high density neighborhood. And you can see in Winona Park right next door, there are a number of people who are uh, watching what's going on down there, have gone by to take a look at it. But uh, again, we'll keep an eye on that for you and pass along any new details as we get them. Right now, though, IHIT has taken over the investigation into a suspicious death in Surrey. A woman in her 30s died yesterday morning after being dropped off at Peace Arch Hospital with severe injuries. The investigation is focused on an area of Surrey near 168th Street and 27th Avenue. Police have also taped off a home in that area and another one nearby at 161st and 28th. Officers still say they don't know how the victim became injured in the first place. They are asking anyone with information to come forward. Well, Vancouver police are revealing how they caught a killer. Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam will be sentenced next month after being found guilty last week of two counts of first-degree murder in the brutal killings of Diana Ma Jones and her husband, Richard Jones. Those slayings terrorized the city three years ago, and Romina Dea has more on the pivotal moments that led investigators to the murderer and the one key question they still can't answer. But first, a warning. Some of the details are disturbing. You can imagine your worst horror movie, and this would, uh, it couldn't do it justice in terms of the, hor- the horrific nature and violence that was inflicted upon this couple. Vancouver Police Deputy Chief Lawrence Rankin remembers the public pressure put on police to solve the random killings of Diana Ma Jones, 64, and her husband Richard Jones, 68. The killer slashing Jones more than a hundred times and cutting the throat of Ma Jones in the couple's home in September 2017. A vicious crime scene with a key piece of evidence left behind. And the barcode from uh, that was still on the on the hatchet was was identified, and they were able to go and identify the very store, the Canadian Star Tire store that it was purchased from. The suspect captured on camera buying a kill kit, but who is he? You know, you're thinking that this is someone that's had a history uh, of violence. Uh, perhaps you know they've been cross paths with the police because of mental health issues. Uh, nothing. With only an image to go on, police saturate the area. More than 240 officers, over a thousand businesses and residences canvassed, hundreds of hours of video collected, a $600,000 investigation. Then one month after the murders, the surveillance team gets a hit. They had been sitting in their set for however many hours and they were thinking, okay, this is time to call it a day or a night. And there he was right in front of them. What was that moment like? Oh, I, I, again, I haven't actually spoken to them, but I remember the investigators being elated. Like, it was like, we, this is the break we were looking for all along. 
The suspect followed to the bank where his identity is finally revealed. Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam, 25 at the time, but police still need a DNA match. An undercover sting is set up at the grocery store where a nice female officer asks Cam for help to open a water bottle. He was prepared to listen to some young woman that approached him who was very friendly and uh, it's amazing what some guys will do if they're asked. At least say you're sorry. For what? For what? Despite a guilty verdict, the case not over for Rankin, given the motive is still unknown. I want closure. I want to have, I want an explanation and I don't have an explanation. I don't know if we'll ever know. Romina Dea, Global News. Crown in that case is seeking a consecutive sentence of 50 years without parole. Sentencing has been postponed until July 22nd. Straight ahead, a creepy suspect caught on camera. Ten minutes after they let him go, he was back in our bushes grabbing something. The bizarre behavior that has Abbotsford families on edge. And a 1,700-page report that helps explain why Kobe Bryant's helicopter crashed. Crews remain on scene to a structure fire here in South Vancouver on Columbia at West 62nd Avenue. Traffic is completely blocked throughout the block here, and you're going to see delays on Marine Drive as people slow down to take a look at the smoke. For 47 years, Kermat Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above structure fire in Vancouver. Some disturbing behavior has residents of Abbotsford and Richmond fearing for their safety. A man has been showing up in both places and in places he's not welcome, knocking on doors at all hours and generally acting creepy. Residents have called police, but as Brad McLeod reports, he keeps on coming back. We saw him uh, peering into my car. He was attempting to open the front and back doors. Um, peering through the windows. Mary Dick is deeply disturbed by a creepy and repeated encounter with this man. Caught on security video at her Abbotsford home Tuesday night. And I saw a man walking past my house. Um, he stopped and kind of turned and faced me and just kind of stared for like a few seconds. But like something out of a horror movie, he returned. Seen here holding up what he said was diamonds. He just kept telling me that he had diamonds in his pocket um, and that he really wanted to show me. The next day the lady looked at her CCTV video and observed that the man in fact had come back to her home and was seen walking around her home trying her doorknobs, uh, looking in her car, talking to himself and acting quite strangely. But to add to the disturbing situation this man did the same thing to a mother and her daughter in Richmond. We saw him, the same person, in the driveway and he was giving us the middle finger, he was yelling at us um, he was he was looked agitated and quite um, distressed. Richmond RCMP said they did not charge the man, saying it appeared he was going around looking for shelter and food. Must be a mental health issue. Uh, the problem is uh, no one can do anything because he can refuse help. So he can't get help. We can't get protection. There's no winning here. The women sharing their story to make sure everyone keeps an eye out and stays safe. Brad McLeod, Global News. 
City of Vancouver says the future of the Gassy Jack statue is now being reconsidered days after it was vandalized. On Monday night, someone splattered red paint on the statue of Jack Dayton in Gastown. He ran one of the city's earliest saloons in the late 1860s at that location. But members of the Squamish First Nation are questioning his legacy. Dayton married a Squamish woman, and when she died... He married her 12-year-old niece. Now the city of Vancouver says it's reaching out to Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations to talk about what to do with the monument, followed by wider consultations with the community. The organizers of an anti-racism march set for downtown Vancouver tomorrow are talking tonight about the reasons for their protest and how they plan to do it as safely as possible. Linda Aylesworth tells us why tomorrow is a special day in black history and perhaps more relevant now than ever. <laughs> Two weeks ago, Nova Stevens and Shamika Mitchell barely knew one another. But now we literally are on the phone every, every single day, day from her, morning. I've, I've FaceTimed her, I've called her. Like um, from like, yeah, until I've, like 4 a.m. we're on the like, phone. Yeah. It began here outside the Vancouver Art Gallery at a protest against black violence and racism. As it happened, Nova was one of the speakers. When Nova spoke and with such passion, I was just like, yes, we need more speakers like this. We need more voices like this. So they teamed up. We like to call ourselves activists whose sole purpose is to invoke everlasting change within our community and a community as a whole. They decided to waste no time. They would organize a freedom march and they would hold it on June 19th. Juneteenth, the day 155 years ago, when Union General Gordon Granger brought momentous news to the enslaved people of Texas. He was telling them that they are too now are free and they are too now have equality and they are deemed as human beings, not subhuman. And so June 19th seemed an appropriate day to hold a freedom march in Vancouver. Banner, we, we gotta do banners still. Yeah. Even though it left them little time to organize. So it's gonna start right here at Jackpool Plaza. We're gonna march along Thurlow Street all the way down to Sunset, where we're gonna have speakers that are gonna educate our attendees. Once we arrive at Sunset Beach, we'll um, be passing through Vendor Village, where you can see different black businesses that are in Vancouver that you might not have known about. Masks and sanitizers, as well as medical volunteers, will be available along the route. Enough for 30,000 or more peaceful protesters. They admit the process is a little scary, but... If not us, who? You can't always wait for someone to start a movement. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, coming up, Washington buzzes over John Bolton's new book, The Allegations Against Donald Trump, from one of his closest advisors. But first, a woman taken for a wild ride by raging floodwaters. Give a shout out, tag posts with hashtag BC Healthcare Heroes or email bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca to share with Global News in partnership with Fortis BC, ensuring your community has the energy it needs 24-7. Ongoing water main work in Vancouver causing some intermittent lane closures here on Oak Street in both directions between 71st and 64th Avenue. As a result, seeing a bit of a delay to and from the Oak Street Bridge. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts for insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions all from home. Just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Oak Street in Vancouver.
A scary scene caught on video in Turkey where a woman is carried down a street by floodwaters. She was eventually rescued and rushed to hospital and is reportedly in good condition. More flood warnings are being issued with forecast calling for the heavy rain to continue. A caustic tell-all has sparked a rush of reaction in Washington, D.C. after President Trump's former national security advisor, John Bolton, goes on the record ahead of his book's release. Rocking the political boat so much that the U.S. Department of Justice has stepped in to try to stop the book from hitting the shelves. Global's Reggie Cicchini reports. The room where it happened is a damning score of allegations about a White House riddled with controversy and chaos. I don't think he's fit for office. The book lays out a series of moments that call the president's leadership into question, painting an unflattering portrait of the president's global knowledge and portraying a transactional relationship with dictators, including Chinese President Xi Jinping. Bolton claims Trump wanted to use trade and the Uyghur people's plight as leverage to win the 2020 election. The revelation of his greenlighting concentration camps in China in order to get them to support his re-election, it's just uh, uh, unconscionable. There are also claims that Russia acts as a puppet master. I think Putin thinks he can play him like a fiddle. Uh, I think Putin is uh, smart, tough. Bolton uses his time in high-level meetings to give insight into the Ukrainian scandal that led to the president's impeachment, even though he refused to testify. There's no honor amongst thieves, as they they say. Uh, John Bolton was in the room. He didn't say anything. He didn't quit. He didn't raise protests. He didn't do any whistleblowing. On Thursday, Trump tweeted the book is a compilation of lies and made up stories, adding many of the ridiculous statements are pure fiction. But the Justice Department has filed a lawsuit to prevent the book's release, saying the conversations were classified, contradicting the president's comments. This is despicable that he chose to publish this book without fully going through the review process. The administration was reportedly given a copy of the manuscript in December. The White House has not pushed back on any of the charges, some of which echo comments made from former administration officials in the past. But it remains to be seen whether this book will make any waves when it comes to voters later this fall. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. We're learning new details about the helicopter crash that killed basketball legend Kobe Bryant, his daughter and seven others. A 1,700-page report by the National Transportation Safety Board shows that in his final communication with air traffic control, the pilot reported ascending when the chopper was in fact heading for the ground. Investigators believe he may have been disoriented by thick fog. Group text messages sent just before the fatal flight raised weather concerns, but those were dismissed by the crew. All right, we want to take you back to that breaking news we've been telling you about involving a major fire burning in Vancouver. Take a look. Global One is over the scene right now. Vancouver Fire Department has confirmed to us this is a three-alarm blaze. It's at a construction site at West 62nd and Columbia, which is near Camby. But there is an occupied complex right next door, and we have been hearing that has now been impacted as well, at least a couple of the units. The smoke can be seen for kilometers. There is no word yet on how this started or if there have been any injuries, but obviously lots of crews out uh, on the situation, and uh, we have a crew on the way as well. So we'll bring you more details as they become available. In the meantime, in health matters tonight, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced today that a nationwide contact tracing app will be available to download soon. 
Ontario will be the first province to test out the mobile app, and using it is voluntary. Aaron MacArthur has the details. With more people starting to go more places, keeping everyone safe might come down to contact tracing. Governments are looking to use technology to make that job easier. An app has been developed to alert users when they have potentially come into contact with COVID-19. This app will be completely voluntary. It'll be up to individual Canadians to decide whether to download the app or not. The app, designed by Shopify with input from BlackBerry, will run in the background on people's phones. It sends and stores encrypted Bluetooth signals with other nearby phones. If somebody is diagnosed with COVID-19, then all of the phones that exchanged signals over the previous 14 days will be notified. There's 100% privacy when it comes to this app. AB Trace Together is an Alberta already has an app available, but it has had lackluster uptake. In order for this type of technology to work, a majority of people need to use it and trust that their data is secure. Uh, our advice for the Canadian government and Prime Minister Trudeau is to ensure full transparency uh, on how they're going to protect user data. There are limitations. There's always a risk of false alarm. But in conjunction with old-fashioned contact tracing, BC's provincial health officer sees the benefits. Um, I think there's probably a place for it. Um, it's not an answer in and of itself. It's um, a piece, of a tool that we might be able to use to assist in some cases. Ontario will start rolling out the new app July 2nd. Other provinces can follow suit over the next few weeks. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Still ahead, Vancouver's oldest building at risk of being lost. Survived the fire, which actually came perilously close. The old Hastings Mill Museum has survived many close calls, but can it survive the COVID pandemic? And coming up in sports, golfer Nick Taylor on the risks and rewards of returning to the PGA Tour. The PNE has launched its second Taste of the PNE drive-through. The Carbecue drive-through is time to coincide with Father's Day weekend. After purchasing tickets online and selecting their food and a time slot, people drive through and pick up their barbecued ribs, mac and cheese, and poutine from four of the fair's usual vendors. As a bonus, they can also drive through the Coliseum to see an exhibition of classic and custom cars. Tickets are available at ticketleader.ca. What a great idea. Tasty, too. All right, let's find out what's cooking with uh, Christy Gordon right now in the backyard over there in North Van. Hi, Christy. Hi, Chris. Hi, Soph. Yes, it was a great day today. Low 20s and through the lower mainland regions. Kamloops hit 30 degrees today. Sunshine all across the region. But we're heading into the weekend. I know not tomorrow, but we're getting close. And we're talking about rainfall in the forecast once again. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it feels like we're getting rain every weekend. So here's a look at the stats. This is using YVR. Yes, we've had way too many wet weekends, including this weekend. We have had then, therefore, six weekends in a row 
with either rain on Saturday or Sunday or both. And when we look further back, nine out of the 10 have been wet. So if you've been feeling like the weekends have been wet, it's been hard. If you have weekends off, for example, you have every reason to feel that way. This was the day today. Nice cirrus clouds across the region. Thank you to Stephanie for that one. And look at this shot from Porto Cove. Thank you, Mark, for that great shot. So what we're expecting is uh, the rainfall from the north coast to slide in as another wave of moisture moves on shore. Now, northern parts of Vancouver Island will see the rainfall in the afternoon tomorrow, but we should stay dry. But we certainly will see more cloud cover tomorrow. The rainfall is not expected for our region until late evening at the earliest at this point. Certainly your Saturday is looking wet, though. And yes, we're changing over to summer Saturday afternoon. As for your Father's Day uh, weekend, Father's Day, we'll look at that in a second. Here's a look at um, Friday. So wet along the north coast, inland regions increasing cloud for our region, certainly mainly cloudy skies expected tomorrow with that rainfall to the far northwest of us. And then we'll see it push in. So Saturday looking wet, but so far Father's Day looks like showers in the morning, but we could catch some sunny breaks in the afternoon. We'll work on that for all you fathers out there. And here's your central windows weather window. A great shot of a hummingbird. Thank you to Donna Marshall for that in Surrey. Back to you guys. Very nice. Thanks, Christy. Mm-hmm. All right, let's check in with Squire. What do you have coming up, Squire? Well, like all of us, Adam Hadwin wore a microphone today in the first round of the PGA's Heritage Classic, and everybody heard him call a penalty on himself. I thought it was a rock right there, so I went to, like, grab the rock, and the sand just kind of squished in my finger. Yes, moving sand in front of your ball is a two-shot penalty, even if the ball hasn't moved. Golf is silly sometimes. Wouldn't you agree, Squire? Also coming up, the Great Vancouver Fire couldn't destroy the old Hastings Mill store, but COVID just might, why it's in serious jeopardy. All right, Squire's here with sports, and uh, what seems like uh, the end of a long goodbye, Squire. Well, there were such high hopes for Goldie, wasn't there? Mm -hmm. At the beginning, and then it just didn't kind of work out. Uh, Nikolai Godobin has signed a two-year contract with CK. S.A. Moscow of the KHL. He spent all but one game with the Canucks minor league team in Utica this season. He was going to be a restricted free agent, and the Canucks did not want him back. He was actually almost a point-a-game guy in the minors this year, but basically, Goldobin did not have NHL hands. He only had minor league hands. Well, we know uh, Abbotsford's Nick Taylor has been playing golf with some old friends on the Vancouver Golf Tour rather than the PGA Tour, but he won't be staying much longer. He does plan to get on the big tour soon, uh, where he, of course, won earlier this year at Pebble Beach. You know, looking last week, watching golf, it definitely got my itches is back probably more than ever. I'm looking forward to coming back. It's been over three months since Nick Taylor played a PGA Tour event, but he will be returning in three weeks' time. It'll be a much different experience than he's been used to, of course, with all of the COVID-19 safety measures in place. But he's talked to some of his tour friends who played last week and knows what to expect when he gets there. You know, early on it's different with getting tested. You have to wait to get a result. Once you're you're negative and you're kind of cleared to kind of do normal activities at the golf course. So, you know, there's a new normal, but I think everyone after a few days kind of got used to it. Towards the hole. Into the hole. Into the hole. Nick Taylor. 
Of course, Taylor made history earlier this year at Pebble Beach, becoming the first Canadian to ever win a PGA tournament wire-to-wire, meaning he led after each round. He hopes to get back to that form as soon as possible. The fact he won 1.4 million U.S. dollars at Pebble and is now in the top 25 on the money list and FedEx Cup standings has certainly taken the pressure off. You know, everything that came along with it definitely relieved some stress. Um, you know, I can just go out there and play as hard as I can. I don't have to worry about the kind of outside stuff that, you know, in the past couple of years, I probably had to worry about more of keeping my card or playing well. So that's definitely uh, something I'm happy I don't have to worry too much about. But uh, I'm still out there trying to compete as much as I can. Taylor plans on heading to the U.S. at the end of the month and will stay out on tour by himself through the FedEx Cup playoffs into early September. That's a tough go at the best of times, but leaving behind his wife and eight-month-old son Charlie will pull at the heartstrings. Then again, there's always FaceTime. Multiple times a day, morning, afternoon, night. Um, like I said, like the, the, the contrast, the differences of, you know, our life, we travel so much and we've been together a lot, but there's still weeks you're apart. But to have, you know, three months plus together every day and being in such a good routine, it's going to be uh, difficult to leave. But um, FaceTime will definitely be something that we use a lot. So you get golf and a cute baby in one story. Uh, Abbotsford's other PGA regular, Adam Hadwin, is out on the tour right now. He is playing this week's Heritage Classic. Ian Poulter and Mark Hubbard have the lead after one round at seven under. Hadwin shot one over today. He shot one over because he called a two-stroke penalty on himself on the 13th hole when he picked up a bit of sand behind his ball that he thought was a rock. Uh oh. I'm pretty sure that's a penalty, what I just did there. Huh. I thought it was a rock right there, so I went to like grab the rock and the sand just kind of squished in my fingers. I'm pretty sure that's a penalty. Can we get a, a rose? It's, <laughs> okay. it's a penalty, unfortunately. But that's a good, honorable golfer. It's a honest. stupid rule, but it's a good, honorable golfer. Polite, honest. That's good. All right. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Andrea for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Anne? Thanks, Sophie. An update now on our breaking news. Crews are currently on scene of a major fire in South Vancouver. The fire started at an under-construction condo project at 67 and Columbia. Witnesses say the flames have now spread to two neighboring occupied units. This is a third alarm fire. No word yet on how this fire started or if there have been any injuries, but judging from these pictures, crews will be here for quite some time. More on this developing story when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie, Chris. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. All right, we've got our salute to healthcare heroes coming up after the break and how you can help save the old Hastings Mills Museum. Time to take a moment to recognize another one of BC's healthcare heroes on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. And tonight's nomination comes from a very special couple, Hudson and Patty Mack. And they're nominating their niece, Sarah Moores. Uh, this is Sarah right there, and then I think we have a group picture of her as well. Uh, do we have that picture? There she is. She's second from the right. She's a nurse in Victoria. Sarah and her colleagues, all seen here, work on 7 North at Royal Jubilee Hospital. Their specialty is vascular, thoracic, and general surgery, treating people with lung cancer, bowel, and vascular disease. Now, earlier, we heard Keith Baldry talking about the resumption of surgeries, and that means Sarah and her colleagues are ramping up again, busier than ever, catching up on all those surgeries that got pushed back due to COVID-19. Now, when Sarah is not going several rounds with COVID, she's going several rounds 
in the ring. An avid boxer with a 5-1 record, her most recent win was in February at Eastside Boxing Club in Vancouver, the very first all-female boxing card in B.C. You do not want to mess with Sarah. Hudson and Patty are very proud of you, Sarah, and so are we. They say you're a wonderful, caring nurse and have a promising health care career ahead of you. And we thank you for your dedication during this really uncertain time. And if you have a healthcare hero to nominate, send your email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Include a few pictures and some details about, about why they're your hero, and we might feature them next time. Also, happy birthday to Sarah's mom today. Oh, happy <laughs> birthday. All right. A museum housed in Vancouver's oldest building is in financial jeopardy. The old Hastings Mill store survived the Great Fire of 1886, but the pandemic could force its closure. And as Jordan Armstrong reports, at a time when the city is earmarking funds for another communications manager, it's also delaying grants to museums. The fire swept over the city of Vancouver. Hastings Mill was just on the outskirts. And very fortunately, it missed the, the worst of the onslaught. It's Vancouver's ultimate survivor. The old Hastings Mill store was built sometime around 1868. Ninety years ago, a group of women fundraised to save the building from demolition and have it moved by barge to its present home at the tip of Alma Street. It was definitely like a community hall of its day. Um, a lot of history happened here. This is Vancouver's original city council table. The museum relies on donations and an annual cultural grant from the city each spring. But with money troubles at the current city hall, the grant has been delayed until fall. No grant from the city and no revenue from the general public. And all of a sudden we found ourselves in a situation where we were realistically looking to close the museum for good. Now, you'll recall that a few weeks back, the mayor defended the city's plan to set aside cash for a social media manager. You're talking about a potential hiring of $95,000 out of a budget of $1.6 billion. We would have been able to do a lot <laughs> with that money. And to be clear, the city grant they rely on is not $95,000, but rather nine grand. It would most definitely be a difference maker as far as whether we um, maintained the building and, and were able to open. So with no immediate help from the city, Old Hastings Mill store has launched a GoFundMe. The pandemic shutdown and urgent building repairs have left the museum's bank account empty. They're hoping to raise $40,000. The history of Vancouver is just so amazing. It's so colorful and um, it really doesn't take much from everybody's pocket to to keep the place going. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Real quick, it is open most evenings now. If you want to go by to check it out, they could really use the help, obviously. Looks pretty interesting. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for joining us. See ya.